Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily. The European Championships are off to a flyer. Italy proving themselves to be the potential dark horses we tipped them to be on Friday. Romelu Lukaku reminding Manchester United fans what they're missing with his goals for Belgium and the Ukraine putting up a decent fight to the Dutch and proving themselves to potentially be someone who could go deep in the tournament as well. Of course, England as well, winning their opening game of the European Championships for the first time ever with a 1-0 win over Croatia. We're going to be looking back at that game shortly on today's show, and we're doing that with Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? Uh, yeah, hello, not too bad. Yeah, sorry, I was a bit distracted then. Don't know why. <laughs> What were, you, what were you distracted by? What were you doing? Uh, I was playing with my laptop. It was, uh, it was, it was audition was, uh, was doing me in there. So never mind. I'm glad you ended that sentence with laptop. Yeah, <laughs> Pornhub wouldn't uh, wouldn't get off. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that other voice you can hear—that's Niall McCorn. How you doing, Niall? You can. I'm great. Yeah, I'm good, Jim. So we are going to look back at England's game last night. Win getting off the Euros to a flyer. Also, we're going to be looking forward to this afternoon's game. Scotland's game, the other match in Group D, the Tartan Army taking on the Czech Republic at Hampden Park. And we're going to look at some of the best stories, rumours, gossip that are picking up the column inches on the sports pages of the papers as well. There's certain stories about the future of Timo Werner, the future of Jesse Lingard and a new manager at Spurs. So we'll get on to that shortly. But let's start off with England versus Croatia. The first question we have to go with, Marley, I guess, is what did you make of Gareth Southgate's selection? Because I looked at that lineup, I was disappointed that Mings was there. I was disappointed that Calvin Phillips was playing. I didn't know why Kieran Trippier was in at left back. There was a lot of question marks for me. No Jack Grealish as well. And I think the general consensus was Southgate had got it wrong. But then if you look at the results on the pitch, he got it right. Yeah, um, I I would agree. I think, you know, I looked at the lineup and thought, oh, no. Um, what Number one, the number one thing for me was why is Grealish not playing? 
I think he's been man of the match in pretty much every England game he's played. Um, going into the game in in great form, and he's had, you know, I know he was injured for twelve games, but that that almost gave him a little bit of a rest. So he's probably m- more well rested than everyone else in the squad who's played pretty much every game to the end of the season. So I definitely expected him to start. I expected Foden to be on the bench because um, I didn't see him dropping Sterling. Um, so yeah, it was disappointed with that, and I was certainly disappointed with you know taking two specialist left backs and leaving them both on the bench to play a right back well, out, not even out on the bench. position. Chilwell didn't even make the bench, did well, he? Well, yeah. he, was on the, he was not even in the squad. Yeah, but I mean, the, the only the only sort of logic I can apply to that is that Chilwell and Shaw both played in the European, uh, the European finals at the end of the season. So maybe Trippier was in because he was a little bit fresher than the pair of them. That's probably what I don't know what Southgate's actually said about it, but that's probably his reasoning. So, having said that, I'd still be disappointed if I was Luke Shaw, who's had coming off probably the best season he's had in in six or seven years, um, and he's not getting picked over over uh, Kieran Trippier, who's playing out of position at left back. But I mean, I, I thought Trippier did all right to be honest, but it still had left that bit of imbalance down the left hand side with two right footed players playing on the left. You know, it it does make you a little bit predictable. But having said all that, I mean, Croatia was so poor that nothing really mattered in the end because they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't really cope with England. I think England managed the the game really well. They always looked like the ones who were um, about to score at any 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 moment, really. Um, and yeah, they they eventually got the goal, which was it was just a case of. You know, not letting that frustration set in when you've dominated the first half, you hit the post through Foden, and you know you, you're thinking, hopefully they don't think, oh god, it's going to be one of those days, and they keep going, and and they got the goal which they deserved, and they got the win which they deserved as well. So, good uh, good start to the uh, to the Euros for England. Sterling has obviously been in pretty poor form for Manchester City this season, Niall, but he got the goal last night. Did that justify? His selection, sometimes a goal can mask a poor performance, but what did you make of Raheem Sterling last night for England? Well, I'm glad you've asked me and not asked Raheem Sterling because the interviewer on BBC last night asked Raheem Sterling that very same question and he responded with a bit of disdain. He said, well, what do you think? He, he didn't say those exact words, but that was kind of the attitude he, he gave across. He's just scored basically in the shadow of where he grew up. Raheem Sterling grew up 523 yards from the goal at Wembley in which he scored in against Croatia at the weekend. So it's in one of the concession sales. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think Tiger Woods could probably drive a golf ball that far, to be honest with you, from where he scored in Wembley to, to where Raheem grew up. Um, it's a great story and I'm really pleased for Raheem Sterling. And I was a bit surprised as well by the team selection. I'm not going to lie. I was a bit surprised to see Chilwell and Sancho left out of the team. Trippier being played out of position not for England he's played left back for England but in terms of Atletico Madrid he's played right back all season so that was a bit of a surprise and then there were concerns about whether there was too many defensive players on the pitch with the likes of Rice and Phillips and Phillips was absolutely exceptional playing as an eight rather than a six and I thought that worked really really well but as for Raheem Sterling he knows he's had not a great season and he knew that going into the game and allegedly his attitude before this game was I'm in my own neighbourhood, a home tournament, the first time England have played a, a, a major tournament match on home soil since 96, the Euro 96 tournament, which of course was memorable for so many different reasons. He he just apparently before the game, I mean, I don't know, this is just from what I've read and, and what sort of pundits have said. 
He was before the game thinking, right, this is my time. This is my time to stand up and show those doubters exactly what I'm all about. Now, I personally didn't think Sterling had a, a particularly good game in terms of his passing was a little bit off, but he just kept trying and he kept trying to make things happen. And I think that that's where the credit is deserved for Raheem Sterling. He finished the chance, great pass from Phillips. And yeah, I think you can see it in his face, the way he celebrated the goal and the way he was so determined to make an impact in that game at Wembley. First game of the Euros against the side that knocked England out of the World Cup in 2018. It was a great moment for Raheem Sterling and one that I'm sure every Manchester City fan and those who know him will be extremely proud of. So yeah, I think he has justified his selection. He scored the goal in a 1-0 victory. He looked he looked bright. He, he tried. There was no lack of effort there on an extremely hot day at Wembley. And the fact he was sort of in his own backyard scoring a goal for England... Um, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So fair play to Raheem Sterling because he did silence a few critics. I thought he actually had a pretty decent game, particularly in the first half. As you say, he kept on trying. He looked dangerous. He made some decent runs. I think the one frustration for me is he just seems to have lost a tiny bit of confidence. And when you want him just to swing his leg at something, he's maybe not doing that. He's not kind of like taking those opportunities he's looking for a pass or he's cutting back inside or something along those lines it's just it just seems to maybe the goal is going to change that maybe that's what's going to give him the cutting edge as Niall said Marley it was a defensive lineup Phillips and Rice playing those holding midfield roles but it did work really well the double pivot or whatever you want to call it do you think we're going to see that in in future for England because with the utmost respect to Scotland you can imagine that that was with a view to containing a Croatia midfield when probably the Scots, the next game, is probably not going to hold the same threat. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the main reasons to go with a sort of 4-2-3-1 formation was the fact that Croatia's best um, best area is their midfield. I think they've got you know two or three world-class players in that midfield lineup. We've got Modric, who won the Ballon d'Or, Kovacic, who's, who's won four Champions Leagues, and you've got Brozovic as well, who's had a career at the top level too. So, you know, you're looking at uh, at that and thinking, we need at least two guys in there to cope with their three. You can't have one. You can't have just Rice as a holder because he's probably going to get played around quite a lot, especially when you, you know, you give Luka Modric too much time on the ball, even though he's, you know, 36 years old or whatever it is. So, you know, I, th- I wasn't surprised to see him go with that formation. I was quite pleased he went with that formation. Um, and I think Phillips was, in my opinion, he was the right man anyway. Um, I think the, the thing with Phillips, I think he, he just plays such a different role in such a unique system with Leeds that you have to eventually get used to a, a different formation and a different role with England. Um, and I think he was, you know, he was the press setter. He was the, the tempo setter in midfield. And, you know, when you... Uh, when you look at his performance yesterday, that was a real sort of coming of age performance for England, um, and he was he was everywhere. He covered the pitch like like it was a five a side pitch. He was smashing tackles mm. in everywhere. He was dribbling, and I think when he got the respect of the Croatians in that first half, when he got that um, that confidence, he started going forward a little bit more and seeing what he could do in the final third. And we seen that with the goal. You know, he, he broke forward. Uh, I can't remember who passed it to him, but it was a great pass. Um, and he ended up cutting inside and all of a sudden he's running at the back four and they're thinking, well, who's who's this? Like, he doesn't normally run at us. It's normally Foden or Mount or Sterling or Kane. So we're not used to this guy coming from deeper. 
And once he did break, make that break, nobody really knew how to get him. And he had plenty of time to pick the pass. It was a good run from Sterling. And it was simple enough uh, finish for him. So Calvin Phillips was, was by far man of the match. I don't know what UEFA were doing, giving it to Sterling. Um, but yeah, fair play to Phillips. It was a real sort of standout performance of his career and, and one that should see him start plenty of games between now and the end of the tournament. It's nice to get a win in the first match and quite a rare thing for England as well. But were there any things to be concerned about in that one, Niall? Because England created a lot of chances, didn't score many of those chances, particularly in the first 35 minutes. They were well on top and didn't really take advantage of that. It felt to me like one of those games where England dominate and dominate and dominate and then concede a sloppy goal and it goes the other way. Harry Kane didn't really get into the game very much, didn't really have any opportunities. Is that maybe the concern that England just aren't clinical enough in their finishing? I think so. I think the opening 20 minutes, the only criticism you can have after such a fast start was that England didn't make it count. And Croatia, as Marley's already highlighted, aren't the same side that England faced in the semi-final in Russia in 2018. They've aged three more years. They just don't look the same cohesive unit. And actually, interestingly enough, in Croatia, there seems to be a difference in opinion as to how successful the national team will be. Some Croatians think that They've got the same players, so they should still be good enough to go to the deeper stages of the tournament. Others are saying, well, we've had our moment, we've had our time in the sun, and uh, we're not expecting too much from this tournament. England to get a win, though, in the first group game is the first time they've won an opening game of a Euros ever. So, you know, that's a good little monkey off the back for Gareth Southgate and the boys. I didn't understand the comments from like Rio Ferdinand and a couple of other people on punditry saying that not losing the first game is the most important. Well, you've only got three games to get out of the group. So not losing any of them is important. I just think that this whole mentality of it's we've got to get the things in it. Pundits oh, say stuff like that all the time. It's just a tired old cliche. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most English well, mentality ever. This year though, ridiculously one point from the group stages can get you through to the next the knockout stage precisely that with, with this new system so i kind of get where they're coming from because if you don't lose the first game you've got the point and that's kind of tick right chances are we're getting out of the group as it stands with the win it's almost definite that england will now get out of the group but do you think england would have been happy with a nil nil considering how weak croatia looked and how well england played no. in the opening 20 minutes no i don't think so either so you know my only criticism would be in the opening 20 minutes, England should have made it count. Now, Phil Foden hit the post, and when the ball bounced out off of the post, it could have hit the back of the goalkeeper and gone in. Raheem Sterling was mm. close by. I mean, I was surprised Harry Kane wasn't in the general vicinity, which leads me on to talk about Kane, like you mentioned. I did think that he had a poor game against Croatia. I really do. He was dropping back deep into midfield, like we've seen him do for Tottenham, but normally when he does that for Tottenham, he links up with the like of Son, um, but it, it just wasn't really there. It wasn't really happening for Harry Kane. I thought he looked a bit slow, a bit cumbersome. I don't know whether that's to do with the weather because it was obviously, you know, touching 30 degrees down at pitch side at Wembley. Um, but he is a top striker. He's a top quality striker. And listen, he's going to score a goal during this tournament. I'm convinced of it. So I think that, you know, there may be a few question marks over personnel. I think against Scotland, we might see Grealish and Sancho as the front couple of players but I mean considering it was pretty comfortable against Croatia we might not see any changes at all for the next game from Gareth Southgate so the only thing I think that I would want to see improved upon is capitalize on the chance 
that you've got. When you're on top, you've got to score. And that's what the best teams do. Spain used to do it when they were the best team in the world. Germany often do it even though they're not as good as they used to be. They still find a way to score when they create momentum. That's something that England have struggled to do. And, you know, even though it was 1-0 and England looked pretty comfortable, towards the end of the game, I was just sat there waiting for the inevitable Croatia equaliser. Because mm. you just you just <laughs> kind of tee yourself up for that, don't you, as a, as a football fan in this country. But, you know, I think maybe there could be a few performances that might need to be tightened up. I didn't think Walker had a particularly good game. But uh, then again, England won the game. It was pretty comfortable in the end. Southgate's selection was absolutely justified. As Marley says, Phillips was outstanding. Raheem Sterling got the goal. And that's the benefit of having such good players like England have got at the moment. You can afford to let a world-class striker like Harry Kane have an off day because you've got so many other talented players who can pick up that baton. So fair play to England, fair play to Southgate. And um, yeah, my only criticism would be try and score a few more goals while you've got the pressure and got the momentum because in the last 16... England will face a team from Group F. And in Group F, you've got Hungary, but you've also got Germany, France and Portugal. Now, watching that performance with any of those three teams, Germany, France and Portugal, have been too concerned about breaking through England at least once. I'm not so sure. So so that would be my only concern because against those teams, you, you can't afford not to make that pressure count. So, so that would be my only criticism if there was one. Given that England got off to a win, Marley, and they have a couple of players still to come back into that team, the likes of Harry Maguire, who probably won't be ready until the knockout stages, Henderson as well, who is the captain. Once those players are fit again, do they displace the likes of, I mean, I guess it would it would be Phillips that Henderson replaces. I guess it would be Tyrone Mings that Maguire replaces. Do they just walk back into the team as soon as they're ready? Uh, I think Maguire does. Um, I'd be, you know, probably Henderson as well. Even though it probably wouldn't be fair. I mean, if if Phillips plays like he did um, against Croatia, if if he does that against Scotland and Czech Republic, then yeah, um, he he deserves to stay. But I don't know. Well, I suppose we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. I, I I always have the opinion that players need four or five games before they even start looking like a hundred percent, and I don't think. You know, you could you could have Henderson fit for Czech Republic on the last group game and give him an hour and then take him off. But then to start in a, in a game against Portugal or France or Germany or even Hungary if they somehow scrape through. Mm. But I just think you're asking a baptism of fire. That isn't yeah, it? you're asking a lot of a player. I know he's a big player. He's played in big games and he's very experienced and what have you. But in terms of sharpness, you've got to be razor sharp to to deal with those players. You know, you're coming you're coming up against the likes of, you know, Pogba, Kante, if you play France and Portugal, got Neves and Moutinho and all and Carvalho and all these players, um, not Carvalho, Pereira even, uh, the midfielder. But then you've got Germany, they've got Kimmich and everyone in there. So no, there's no mugs. Um, so I think if if Calvin Phillips plays all, all three group games, then you, you, you almost deserve to stick with him because he's done nothing wrong. But... I don't know, but we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it and see see who is available and count the bodies and see what we've got because, you know, Phillips is... I've never seen anyone in any of the games so far in any of the uh, the groups play as well as Calvin Phillips did last night. So fair play to him. He's, he's set down the marker now. Really impressive. And the next game is Scotland. It is on Friday night and Boyle Sports are again offering a £10 no-lose bet 
for all the England games, including that one. So basically, if you put a 10 quid bet on, if it loses, you get your money back as a free bet. If it wins, you get your winnings as normal. Full details and all the odds, you can find them at the Boyle Sports app or boylesports.com. T's and C's apply. It is 18 plus. Bet responsibly and begambleaware.co.uk. And we'll be talking about the old enemy next because Scotland kick off their Euros campaign today against the Czech Republic. And that is next on the agenda for Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Going to talk Scotland versus the Czech Republic in just one second. I will say we're not going to be talking today about the incident with Christian Eriksen in the Denmark-Finland game. I think it's been well covered already. I'm not sure we can add a great deal to the discussion, but it's suffice to say we wish Christian Eriksen a speedy recovery and much love and respect to all the medical staff who were on hand and undoubtedly saved his life in that game on Saturday as well. We'll move on from that. We'll talk about Scotland versus the Czech Republic at Hamden Park. It's a big game this, Niall, considering how long it's been since Scotland have been at a major tournament. 26 years, I think it is. Most important thing going into this one for the Scots, is it just not getting beat? Or have we ruled that cliche out already? I'm not sure how it works with Scotland. Is it the same criteria as England? (laughs) Well, for me, the most important thing for Scotland is to enjoy it. Enjoy the occasion. It's been 26 years since you've been in a major tournament. That is a whole generation. That is a whole generation of people that are my age now that have never seen their national team at a major tournament. And, you know, they've seen smaller nations like Wales and Northern Ireland, home nations close to home, playing in major tournaments like the Euros in 2016. Northern Ireland and Wales were both there and both did very, very well. And Scotland had to sit in the shadows, in the pubs of Edinburgh and Glasgow and Dundee and Aberdeen, they had to watch. So enjoy, enjoy the moment, enjoy the time that you've got. I mean, from a footballing perspective, I think it is just purely about going out and trying to win the game as best you can, because that's what happens to these smaller nations when they get a win under their belt first game, the momentum begins to build. I mean, look at look at Wales in Euro 2016. Did they get to the semi-finals? Did they get to or maybe the quarterfinals? Uh, definitely, I remember them playing in those. And, you know, it, it just came from momentum. And a nation is already behind Scotland. The Tartan army will be in fine voice. There's plenty of them that are heading down to London for the game against England at Wembley. Um, but this game at Hampden, I mean, this is Hampden Park as a generation of Scotland supporters have never seen it before. You know, decked out in all the Euro 2020 livery and the atmosphere with the fan zones. And it's just a general vibe that some people who have followed football for many, many years have not been able to ever experience in that nation. So fair play to Scotland for qualifying. A great achievement. But just go out and enjoy the game. Sing, have a few drinks, cheer the lads on. a little bit defeatist? Shouldn't they, should they not be aiming for more? I remember France 98. Well, try, and win the, try and win the game, of course, like but, I said. But, but it's I mean, the mentality I, thing. Like France 98, the official World Cup song for Scotland, while all the other teams were talking about winning the trophy and lifting it and being victorious, the Scotland anthem was called Don't Come Home Too Soon. <laughs> which was like... Is it not a mentality that leads to the success? To a certain extent. I kind of get what you're saying. Maybe. And I think it's different with the World Cup than it is with the Euros. Because if you think back to Euro 2004, Greece won that tournament. And they've not done anything since. And they didn't even qualify for this one. And I can't even remember the last tournament that Greece did qualify for. Um, And they won the Euros in 2004. Uh, And the Czech Republic actually got to the final of that tournament. The Czech Republic... 
um, got to the final of Euro 96. So they're not a, an easy team to play, the Czech Republic. They've got tournament history in the Euros. I think Scotland can beat the Czech Republic. But let's not forget, less than two years ago, probably 18 months ago, Scotland were getting beat by Kazakhstan. So, you know, it, maybe it is a bit defeatist, but you've also got to be realistic because I think as well, if you don't expect too much, you can't be disappointed. And I think that I've got that kind of viewpoint with England as well. Um, I'm really happy that England won yesterday. But at the same time, I'm not one of these people that thinks England are going to go to the final and or the semi-final. I think that if we get through the last 16, that's when you can start getting excited. You know, but the first viewpoint is to win your first game. The second objective is to get through the group. Scotland can. And if Scotland can pick up a few points, they can be one of these third placed finishes that manages to squeeze through to the last 16. There's no reason why Scotland can't do that. But I think the first thing to do is enjoy the build up, the occasion, the weight, the barbecues, the beers, the atmosphere. I mean, enjoy it because like I say, it's been so long since they've been to a major tournament that they've got every right to enjoy it. And I think sometimes that sort of attitude, that more laid back attitude can serve you in good stead. That's why Iceland was so successful in Euro 2016 and probably Wales and probably Northern Ireland too, because they weren't expecting too much. And so when you do get more than you expect, it becomes almost a better experience for it. So I'm not trying to be too patronising to Scotland but uh, I mean they're not as good as Croatia and they're not as good as England and they're probably not as good as the Czech Republic they're probably the fourth best team in the group that doesn't mean they can't get through the group but I just think that they should enjoy the occasion because it is a momentous occasion for Scotland and and a nation is looking forward to it so I wish them all the best and it's difficult to say that as an England supporter but honestly I think that that, that, you know they've waited their time They've, they've done their service and so therefore try and enjoy the occasion as much as you can. What is the challenge for Scotland, Marley? Because Steve Clark's got them playing really nice, compact football. A lot of people are suggesting that actually the players they're going to really struggle is scoring goals. Do you think that is what they... I mean, obviously, it's what they need to do to win games, but is that the one big challenge that they face? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you just said they play nice, compact football. I certainly wouldn't describe it as nice. Um, <laughs> bit of an oxymoron there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ugly, compact football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you're watching this game as a neutral at two o'clock today, you you're, uh, you are going to be in for a bit of a slog. I don't think it's going to be a good game. You need game. to take a look at your life. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you need to decide whether that half day at work was worth it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think Scotland are better, you know, without the ball than with it. And, you know, they, they, they do get sort of, um, worse as they go forward, the defenders are the, probably the best um, part of their team. You know, the two two brilliant left backs in there, which is the opposite of England with all our good right backs. They've got two good left backs and no one on the other side, really. But um, yeah, I think scoring goals is the issue. I think you know Shay McAdams up front will uh, <laughs> will bear the brunt of that, and, and Dyke, I think Lyndon Dykes is he called someone I've literally never heard of until six months ago. But you know it's up to them to to do something. I think set pieces are a a big thing for 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 Scotland where they can load the box and and try and take their chances there. Because um, from open play they are a bit lacking creativity and that's why I, I do want to see someone like Billy Gilmore get a chance because he's someone that can get his foot on the ball and, and give Scotland a foothold if he gets a game so we'll see what they can do but you know I I can't see them I can't see them going out and being you know progressive and open against Czech Republic but 
we'll see what they can do, but it's up to them to, to take this now because Czech Republic are the the other, you know, worst team in the group almost. They are the weakest. They're not as strong as Croatia or England, so it's up to Scotland to, to really go at Czech Republic today and uh, and try and get three points on the board that could get them through, as we said before, to the, uh, to the last 16. Also, I'm really excited, Jim. Sorry about these young players in the tournament. I mean, we saw Jude Bellingham become the youngest ever player in a Euros at 17. Marley's just mentioned Billy Gilmore. Czech Republic have got a young lad as well called Adam Hlozek, who's a really good midfield player, who's uh, had a good season for Sparta Prague. Poland have got a 17-year-old called uh, Kasper Kozłowski, who's another really exciting talent. So I think for young players this Euros, it could be really exciting. So I think he's one to keep an eye on for the Czech Republic as well, obviously alongside the two West Ham lads that you know all about. Well, I was going to say, Czech Republic are one of my tips for doing well in this tournament. When everyone was coming up with their dark horses, I picked Czech Republic and I've been roundly ridiculed for that decision ever since. Do you think they can offer anything in this? Because they have got some decent players. We know what Suchek can do from set pieces. We know Sufal's decent on the right back position. The lad you mentioned in midfield. There's um, there's another young Czech Republic midfielder in Alex Kral who's highly rated as well. So they have got some decent players. And importantly as well, they have got... We talked about it loads in the Champions League, how experience in the tournament can help. And they have got experience in major tournaments. They're a regular. Yeah, they do. And I think it's a bit of a mixed bag with the Czech Republic. I don't want to call them sort of Jekyll and Hyde, but if you look at their recent results... You know, if you go back to the World Cup qualifiers in the last international break, they dispatched Estonia 6-2. I mean, to score six in an international friendly is a good achievement for the Czech Republic, even though it was against a weak side in Estonia. Then they drew one apiece with Belgium, who were the number one side in the world, let alone Europe. But then the next two games, they lost 1-0 to Wales, who they're better than. And they got smacked 4-0 by Italy in a pre-tournament friendly just 10 days ago. So, you know, if you're looking at at form, it's difficult to really pinpoint what the Czech Republic are going to do. But obviously, pre-season friendlies and qualifiers is totally different to the atmosphere and environment around a tournament. And like you say, they reached the final of Euro 2004. They reached the final of Euro 96, which was in England. The history of the national team, they'll have memories of that. Some of the players in the squad will have watched that and remembered that. So maybe there's a bit of inspiration to be had there. Um, they do have some good players and they've qualified for the tournament. So you have to say, well, well, they've obviously got some decent players and they can cause Scotland problems. I think if Scotland can get ahead early and grab an early goal, I think that will really kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons because then I think that the Czech Republic, it's up to them to come out and chase the game. Uh, and if Scotland can try and, uh, and pinch another, then then it can end up being a really good day for them. But I think the Czech Republic, as Marley says, are the stronger team. So you'd probably expect them and most neutrals would expect them to beat Scotland. Um, but yeah, it would be an interesting game. It really would. So I, I'm quite keen to see how how both sides go about it. There will be a great atmosphere at Hamden Park today. That game kicks off at two o'clock. We're going to look next at the back pages of the papers and some of the rumours doing the rounds on the sports pages. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to take a look at a few of the transfer rumours, manager gossip and all the stuff that is filling the newspapers at the moment away from the European Championships. And we're going to start with Leicester City. Now, this is being reported by Mundo Deportivo in Spain, but apparently Leicester City in for Barcelona midfielder Felipe Coutinho uh, for 
a fee of around 17 million quid, which sounds like an absolute bargain if you can get Coutinho for 17 million quid. He's got Premier League experience. He's still 29 years old, so he's not past it yet. You'd have him, Marley, wouldn't you? He's a great signing for Leicester City, potentially. <laughs> when he said you'd have him, I thought, well, he's not coming to Newcastle, is he? <laughs> no, 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 of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine him under Steve Bruce. I just kick it in the channel, pal, and big jaw run onto it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, I still think he's got a lot to offer. Um, I think the thing with Coutinho is you always know how good a player he is. It's just the financial outlay you've got to put um, put together to get someone like him. Um, so yeah, seventeen million quid's been been rumoured. I think that's a that's that's no money in today's market. You know, you can get you can get a shocking player for twenty million half the time. So seventeen for a player who's done it in the Premier League and he's done it round round the world in in spurts is uh, seems like good business. I still think he's got uh, something to prove. I think you know he's not quite. It didn't work out at Barcelona. It didn't quite work out at Bayern as well. So, taking a slight step down from those elite clubs is what he needs at this at this moment in time. And that's no disrespect to Leicester, but I think even the most ardent Leicester fan would tell you that you know expectations at Leicester is, is slightly less um, than it is at the clubs he's been at previously. Um, so yeah, I think if if he comes, he's he's got something to prove. He knows the league. He knows the manager, which is really important. Um, obviously he worked with Brendan Rodgers when he was at Liverpool um, and Rodgers is as, as I've said you know, for, for years now he's, I think he's one of the best managers in the league in terms of tactics I think he'll have a set system where Coutinho can thrive and offer offer his best um, the best version of himself so if it, if it does come off I can see Leicester getting themselves a bit of a bark in there It's one of those signings Nile that really shows the status of Leicester City as a club. It's an ambitious signing, even if it hasn't really worked for him at Barcelona or his loan moves away. It's still a big name, and it's the kind of name that Leicester City wouldn't have dreamt of being able to attract five years ago. What did Barcelona pay for Coutinho? Was it one hundred and twenty million quid? Yeah, I think so. I think he, I think I think it was one hundred twenty-six. I seem to remember, and he was. I think he's still one of the most expensive transfers of all time below Mbappe and Neymar. So Leicester could get him for 10% of what Barcelona (laughs) paid Liverpool for him. Now, I don't know whether that's great business from Liverpool or whether it shows that he is not the same player that he was. Either way, you're right. He's got Premier League experience. Leicester City, I mean, it would be a marquee signing for them, wouldn't it? Um, There were a few eyebrows raised when they signed Yuri Tielemans from Monaco, who's been exceptional for them since he came in. I mean, the signings they've made, Ndidi, another one, uh, almost the replacements to players they've lost. They continually have this production line of players that have been able to come in and, and replace others when they've left. So I think that that production line has been there consistently. You know, the likes of Maguire leaving in then for some reason, they already had Suyuncu who just stepped into his shoes like Maguire wasn't even a miss. And now they've got Wesley Fofana. Just exceptional, exceptional recruitment from Leicester City. But it would be a massive coup for them. I think I would arguably say it would probably be their biggest ever signing. Probably not their most important or most impactful. You look at Jamie Vardy signing in 2012 from Fleetwood Town and he's probably been their their best signing in terms of influence over the years. But in terms of a genuine superstar and a marquee signing, Leicester City signing players from Barcelona. You're right, even five years ago when they won the Premier League, you wouldn't really have thought of that. But then again, the Premier League has attracted players 
from the top clubs in La Liga for a few seasons now. I mean, Bale's back on loan at Tottenham, who aren't exactly one of the huge hitters in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, Regalon is another player. Um, but Wolves have signed a cut. I think Semedo came from Barcelona. So, you know, you look at Barcelona and they are willing to sell as a Premier League clubs. So Leicester City are one of those teams who are trying to sort of enforce themselves as a top six club. And it would be a huge signing for them, whether he's still as good as he once was. Felipe Coutinho, I'm not so sure. Of course, he was on loan at Bayern Munich for a bit. But I'd be interested to see 17 million quid as a fee to sign him. I think that is particularly good business and good value for him. Wages wise, I don't know what the deal is there. There may be some deliberations and discussions to be had with that. But um, as you say, if you're taking it on the whole, would Coutinho be a good signing for Leicester? I don't think you can come up with any other answer other than yes. Right, prepare yourselves for a dodgy foreign name pronunciation from myself because I want to talk about the potential new boss at Spurs because the Guardian are reporting that that job is going to former Roman boss Paolo Fosenza. I'm going for Fonseca. Fonseca with a G. Fonseca. Fonseca. I mean, the fact it kind of says something about the status of the the manager that <laughs> I've ne- it isn't a manager I've heard of, and I think a lot of Spurs fans as well will see that as kind of a reflection of not the fact that I haven't heard of him, a reflection of his status, but the fact he isn't a household name. Whereas I think Spurs fans in general feel like they should be getting the cream of the crop, be it managers or players. So what can we expect from this guy, Marley? And do you think he's going to be able to keep Tottenham fans happy? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, look, I don't, I don't think Spurs fans are going to be happy for, for a while, to be honest. I think he's almost being sent into a job that's that's just almost impossible, man. I mean, you know, Mourinho tried to, you know, you, you can say Mourinho was a car crash appointment and you'd probably have a point. However, the one thing he tried to do was change the mentality at the club, um, and he he couldn't do that before his time ran out. Um, I mean, him and Levy working in the same club was like, you know, putting hay and a and a heater in a in a barn together and hoping they didn't uh, ignite in flames. But it is what it is. I mean, they've gone now for Fonseca. He's nowhere near as big a name as Mourinho. Um, I don't think he's going to have that instant respect of the players. He's going to have to work very very hard and get results very quickly to. Um, to gain the respect and and have the players on board, I feel like Spurs are a very moody squad um, and very, you know, they they look for an excuse almost to down tools at times. I think um, Spurs, I don't think they're they're set to win, and I think that's that's been proved in the last fourteen years when they've not won anything. They're not, they haven't got that that uh, that steel and that arrogance and and that that way of thinking where you can you can go and win things um but Fonseca's job is to do that and to do that he's got to pick up the pieces because Harry Kane's probably going to leave he's got to spend that money he's got to identify a replacement I don't know how much he knows about the Premier League I'm assuming it's fair uh fair enough because you know everyone knows the Premier League to some extent because it's beamed around the world in every every country and every uh pub that is around the world so I'm assuming he knows a bit about it but until he gets in there and experiences it, it's it's a different uh, kettle of fish altogether. But you know, he's the 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 thing is, he's he's Spurs are, are replacing the man they sacked with the man who 
Roma sacked to appoint their sacked manager. So <laughs> it's just, it sounds stupid. It probably is stupid. It, knowing Spurs in the last thing, you can't look at Fonseca and go, he's definitely going to be the man because quite simply nobody knows. Um, he he plays a back three system. He's going to have to get that involved um, in some capacity. You know, Roma mostly played with a back three last season. Um, it's great news for Matt Doherty at right right wing back because he was one of the best wing backs in the league um, when when he was at Wolves and he he struggled getting into a back four with Spurs um, in his first season uh, down in London. But you know he's got to knit that together. He's got to you know pick up Deli Ali and and say you know are you in my plans or are you not? And you know there, there, there's just a lot of work for him to do, and you can't realistically say. Yes, he's definitely going to do all that work because it's just such a there's such a lot to do that it's hard to put that expectation on someone and say, yeah, this guy's this guy's the uh, the savior. He's going to do everything because we we simply don't know. He might be great, he might be rubbish. I don't know, but it's it makes more sense that he's he's going to struggle under the parameters set out at Spurs because there's just so much to do with that squad. Is it just time for Spurs fans to kind of check their privilege a little bit, Niall, and accept the fact that they aren't one of those clubs at the moment that are going to attract a Zinazin Zidane or whoever it is, and they just need to cut their cloth accordingly? Maybe. I think with Tottenham, obviously, they spent a lot of money on a new stadium, and then not long after there was a a pandemic and there's been a financial crash and... You know, I don't care how rich the owners are. I think if you're losing money hand over fist, you're going to take notice of that. And whether that has an impact on, you know, circumstances on the pitch will will remain to be seen. What I would say about uh, Fonseca is that they've got a new sporting director at Tottenham, Fabio Paratici, who is also an Italian. And effectively, Paratici has come in and he's been heavily involved in the shortlist for new managers at Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously, Paratici worked with Antonio Conte, who isn't going to be taking the Tottenham job. They work together at Juventus because Paratici is the former sporting director at Juventus, now at Tottenham Hotspur. But he's said to be a fond of admirer of Fonseca. Marley's right, he plays three at the back, uh, a 3-4-1-2 formation, so like a kind of a variant on the 3-4-3. They do play wing-backs, do have some good players, and you'll see... Uh, in the way that Italy have played, I think, um, some of the players that he did have at Roma. But uh, Spurs fans aren't going to be inspired by this appointment because I think Roma finished seventh in Serie A last season. They were comfortably beaten by Manchester United in the semi-finals of the Europa League. United scored six past them at Old Trafford and they fell to pieces. Um, I think in the two seasons he's had there at Roma, he finished fifth and sixth. Uh, fifth and seventh, sorry, or sixth and seventh. He hasn't got them into the top four. He hasn't got them into Champions League. He used to manage Shakhtar Donetsk and won the double a couple of times in the Ukrainian League and was sort of highly thought of there for the job he did over in Ukraine. But managing in the Ukrainian League is a different kettle of fish to managing Tottenham Hotspur, who now do have expectations. And you talk about cutting your cloth accordingly, Jim. Tottenham's cloth is top four. And they've made that a point of importance for them to finish in the top four every season because they've now got a stadium which screams we should be playing top four football. They've reached the Champions League final. They're lacking in a trophy. They've kind of forced their way into that big six picture that we refer to it as now. If you think 10 years ago, Harry Redknapp getting them to finish fourth was a, was a miracle. 
Everyone couldn't believe it. Oh my God, Spurs are in the Champions League. Ten years later, they've been in the Champions League final. And now if they don't finish in the top four, it's a disaster. So in terms of cutting their cloth accordingly, I think that they have created this identity for themselves that they are a top six slash top four club. And if they can't live up to it, that's something they're going to have to come to terms with. But I think Marley's right. I think Fonseca won't be the most glamorous appointment. It kind of feels like Juan de Ramos all over again um, from sort of 10, 15 years ago. So uh, I don't want to write him off too much because he is highly thought of by Paratici and he's the man who's come in and he's going to oversee the football inside of things at Tottenham. But I can't see Spurs fans being too enthused about his appointment if it is to be him. On the topic of football clubs cutting their cloth accordingly, one team that seems incapable of doing that on a financial basis is Real Madrid. £1 billion in debts and still being linked with a whole load of transfers, including a potential move for Timo Werner. Carlo Ancelotti wants to make him his first acquisition at Real Madrid. Around thirty million quid being reported in the Spanish press, Marley. If you were Chelsea and Real offer you thirty million for Timo Werner, bit of a loss on what you invested, but do you take it? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I still think the I still think there's a player in there if you can coach him right and and get him to stay on side um, a few times a season. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, thir- th- I mean, it's similar to to what we talked about before. You know, thirty million is not a lot of of money these days. You know, you spent fifty on him last year. He's had a season where he he scored a few goals, and he was very important to how Chelsea played. Even if he wasn't scoring goals, he was still a nuisance. He was winning penalties, and he was doing, you know, he was uh, stretching defenses and things like that, and creating space for others and what have you. But you know, to to then lose twenty million quid on him. You know when he's got a you know four years left on his contract is is silly. It doesn't make business sense. Uh, it doesn't make any kind of sense really. The only the only temptation would be is can we take that thirty million and then stick it in the pot to try and get Erling Haaland as yeah and and try and um try and sort of build on that that that's that's what I was going to say that tactic yeah mm. so. But I mean, still thirty million. It's not. It's still not that much. Why if you were. I don't think he's much less than 50 million. Like, I don't think he's had a really bad season. Um, and then that's why his, his value has gone down. I think even if he had another season similar to what he did now, you'd still get 30 million for him next summer or maybe 40. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't think he's, he's that cheap, basically. And I don't think... I even don't think going into Real Madrid, I don't think he's the man they need either. I think they could be... They'd be better off with Tammy Abraham. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, who who knows? But yeah, I don't. We'll see what happens, I suppose. But I don't see this happening. I think it could be just a bit of uh, paper talk. I think probably proof that he is still wanted at Chelsea is the amount he was selected by Thomas Tuchel when he came into the job, and in fact Lampard before him as well. He seems to be trusted, and we've talked a few times before on this podcast how he seems to play a, like like I say he's not had a terrible season. He's just maybe struggled for goals, and he's looked bright enough within those games, that he is going to at some point click. So it does feel like he is still wanted at Chelsea, Niall, Timo Werner. Yeah, I think so. And obviously a German coach in Thomas Tuchel, I don't think we should overlook that. I think that Thomas Tuchel will have seen plenty of Timo Werner over the years. And and he was exceptional for Leipzig before he got his move to Chelsea. Hasn't worked out for him. There's been plenty of misfortune in his season, obviously, he's had a couple of sitters that he's missed. He's hit the woodwork. He's not been able to stay on side, like Marley says. But if I think back to ages ago, when Chelsea first signed Didier Drogba from Marseille, I think it was in Mourinho's first season. 
Drogba's first season for Chelsea was very, very similar. Didn't score that many goals. The hype was there around him, but it just wasn't happening. And people were saying they should sell him. Well, everyone knows what happens after that with Didier Drogba. He ends up becoming a club legend, scoring goal after goal after goal. King of Wembley, always scored at Wembley in cut finals for Chelsea. And then basically dragged them through the Champions League final in 2012 to win their first European Cup. So I definitely think that there is a player in there, like Marley says. Whether they sell him or not is is a different question. I think he's... He's definitely something that adds value to the squad. He's definitely of value to the squad for sure. But like what Marley touched upon before, I think that if Chelsea can tempt Erling Haaland to the club and that involves them getting rid of a striker or trying to make some cash back somewhere, I think that that would be an interesting decision to make because we've seen it before with Chelsea and they've got this horrible track record of signing strikers and it just not working. Um, spent 50 million on Fernando Torres, who had basically rushed back from a knee injury to make sure he was fit for the World Cup for Spain. Wasn't the same player that he was at Liverpool when he signed for Chelsea. Andre Shevchenko, one of the best strikers in Europe for a five, six year period at AC Milan, went to Chelsea. Wasn't that good. Hernan Crespo, another top striker around the world, the Argentinian, who was an excellent striker, went to Chelsea and was good but wasn't at the same level that he was. Morata, another example. They paid 75 million, I think it was, or 70 million for Morata. Didn't work out. Chelsea aren't afraid to spend big money on strikers and then ship them out again if it doesn't work. It's something they've done over the years. They've got a track record of it. So would I be surprised if they ditched Timo Werner for 20 million less than they paid for him? No. Do I think they will do it? Also, no, I think that they'll keep him. I think that it's probably a little bit too soon. After all, it is a squad that's just won the Champions League. So um, so it is an interesting situation, particularly with strikers at Chelsea, because Tammy Abraham wasn't even in the squad for the Champions League final. Olivier Giroud's just signed a year contract extensions, obviously with France at the Euros at the moment. And then you've got Timo Werner. So those kind of three strikers... Um, or not, that's not including Michi Batshuayi who I completely forget about who's obviously been out on loan so let's just say those four strikers if two of them leave maybe that does free up enough to bring in Erling Haaland and I don't think Chelsea would be afraid to spend money on, on Haaland upwards of 100 million if they wanted to anyway so so yeah, it's an interesting one, but I think Werner will stay personally. We will keep having an eye on the domestic side of the game throughout the Euros, by the way. So if that's what you're here for, there'll be plenty more to come from that on Football Social Daily over the coming weeks, as well as looking at the European Championships. And you can, of course, get the latest news on managerial appointments, transfers, and anything going on with your Premier League club on the website sport-social.co.uk. But that is it for today's podcast. Niall Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Cheers, guys. We'll be back again tomorrow looking back at that Scotland game and all with all the latest European Championship news as well on Football Social Daily. Make sure you've clicked subscribe. You'll get that show as soon as it's ready. We'll see you next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.